You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 32. Welcome to the show. Hello, 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 my friends. It is a pleasure to have you back here at From Sobriety to Recovery. My name is Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery, nearing on some pretty monumental numbers, if I remember so. I'm going to open up my Nomo app real fast. I believe this month, I am, yep, I am 17 days away from 1,000 days, and uh, that's pretty, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I look back, and I think, think back at all the different numbers that I've hit, and uh, 1,000 is certainly, it's certainly exhilarating. And for those of you who are lower, higher, wherever you might find yourself, just bless you for being here in the recovery community. It is a pleasure to have you. Um, find me over at From Sobriety to Recovery on Instagram. It is absolutely wonderful over there. I am really, really impressed with how uh, welcoming and up lifting and upbeat the sobriety community is on Instagram. Did not know that when I jumped on there and started up this uh, this page for the podcast a long time ago, and it has just been exhilarating to get to know so many of you. And uh, as always, here I am to bring you uh, something valuable, uh, at least in my eyes, something valuable. So today I'm reading this article in the GQ, I believe, and it's about Mike Tyson. He's got some weed ranch or something out here in California that he's going to be doing soon or already is the developments in in order and as I'm reading through this article um I knew a lot about Mike Tyson's addiction issues and how many times he's relapsed and gone back into recovery so I was familiar with the trials and tribulations of Mike Tyson if you guys are listening to this from outside the United States and you've never watched boxing back in the 80s and 90s uh he was a heavyweight boxer for about 10 or 15 years, um, Iron Mike Tyson, he used to obliterate people with his, I believe it was his right hook. Um, I don't recall exactly. I just remember him knocking the hell out of some people. Um, once his fighting career ended uh, rather in shambles, uh, he just became sort of a pop icon and, you know, a mockery here and there. And then, you know, always in and out of the news, sometimes good, sometimes bad. So anyways, Google him if you want to know more about him. Um, why I'm bringing him up is because he talked in part of this article. It was so powerful. I actually ripped out this little section, and I didn't mean for the show to be about that, about what he said. But I got into a conversation with one of my uh, relatives, a, a great friend, a business partner, and um, we were talking about his son, sadly, passed away from alcohol addiction um, some time ago. I think we just passed a year recently. And we got into the conversation about why some people find recovery and others don't. And Mike Tyson's article, this quote that I ripped out, just to have for myself, really spoke to me, and I read it off to to my family member, and now I'm going to read it off to you, um, because I really want this to be the topic for this episode. And so um, here's what Mike says. Um, Some people thrive in misery. You take away their misery and bring them into the light, and they die emotionally and spiritually because pain and suffering has been their only comfort. The thought of someone loving them and helping them without wanting anything in return could never enter their minds. 
I will write this out and I'll put it in the show notes so that you have a chance to reread it. Again, what he says was, some people thrive in misery. You take away their misery and bring them into the light and they die emotionally and spiritually because pain and suffering has been their only comfort. The thought of someone loving them and helping them without wanting anything in return could never enter their minds. It gives me chills just reading that because I certainly, just to dissect it a little bit, um, you know, let's just jump to the end where it says the thought of someone loving them and helping them without wanting anything in return could never enter their minds. I remember so many different stages of my addiction, you know, from the moment, you know, from the moment um, vices like alcohol and drugs came into the picture, which was the summer before I started college in 94, all the way till when I quit. And surely there were tons of addictive behaviors in my childhood that I can go into. But uh, for now, let's just stay succinct and on this topic. Um, As I cycled through different levels and patterns of my addiction, I often thought this, that this, this thought that someone could love me and just for me and that they would want to help me without wanting anything in return. I just couldn't fathom that. And a lot of that stems from the idea that for the longest time, and, and I still battle with this now, um, there was a lack of love for myself. Um, you know, when thinking about it now, I'm just very hard on myself as far as what I'm going to be doing with my sobriety and recovery. Um, I love myself for being in addiction recovery. Uh, there's just some times where I, I get very hard on myself because of this perceived uh, loss of time for spending 22 years in addiction. Um, this might resonate with some of you just looking back and thinking of all the times that I wasted, all the opportunities, all the moments that I could have had that would have been more special had I been sober and present for them. And so there's this, this part of me that just is, it just, I drive myself so hard. Um, and so that's where there's times where I see that I'm not in full love of myself. Um, and that's the now. Let's let's go back over those 22 years from 94 till um, 2017. And I just, I could not fathom someone loving me and wanting to help me because I couldn't love me and I didn't want to help me. I mean, the amount of times I woke up with just what I considered the worst hangover ever, alcohol poisoning, um, you know, whatever drug, LSD, ecstasy, coke, ketamine, whatever it happened to be, the amount of pain I would put myself into and the detox. I mean, I had a system for my detox because I did it to myself so often. And finally being able to pull myself out of that detox and then just, you know, as soon as I felt just, 1% 1% close to normal, right back into it. And yes, there were moments where I would go six months, a year with, you know, managing it, being in control of it. But ultimately, you know, it was just a beast that I had, you know, somehow locked in a closet. It was only a matter of time before it kicked the door in. And so I can I can understand what Mike is talking about in this, about the thought of someone loving me and wanting to help me without wanting anything in return. I, I couldn't fathom it because I had the ability to love me and I had the ability to help me and I didn't want to go through with it. So why would I think that somebody else would want to be a part of that if I didn't even want to be a part of that? For a lot of us, even now going through this addiction recovery, regardless of whatever day you're on, 
there's there's those times where life just seems to sort of squeeze around you right for me right now i've got this book deadline that i've been pushing myself to to get um you know i had a great speech last friday and i met a lot of really amazing people i'm going to meet with now after that um you know my roommate situation is 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 up in the air and i'm trying to find a replacement for him uh you know i've got a job over here that has paid my bills for years that i i'm dying to be able to leave uh, on my terms and in, in in good condition so that i can go off and i can be this keynote speaker and this author and, and podcaster and, and addiction recovery specialist and all these things I want to do. And it's like, it's, it is literally, it's like, so I feel like I'm in a vice, like I'm in a freaking vice. And it's, it's, it, is it of my own doing? Is it, is it other people's outside pressures? Right. That whole open-minded growth mindset version of me says, you know, I'm putting myself through this. I can release this. I'm the one who's give, who's putting the overwhelm and the anxiety onto me. And I, I get that. I, I get the logical mind of it. Right. Like if you're if you're a veteran of this show, you you understand that the, this positive mindset that I push out there. But make no mistake. Make absolutely no mistake that I don't have it all figured out. And that even if even if I logically know that I'm the one who who allows a situation to have me feel anxiety over versus excitement, overwhelm versus in control, like I I get all that. The, the, the logicalness of it isn't lost on me, right? Just like I'm sure it's not lost on you guys, right? All hell's breaking loose in your life. The kids are running around screaming. The phone's going off. The, the pan is boiling over on the stove. You got 15 things due at work, right? And you could stop and just breathe and say, you know what? I got this. No, no big deal. Or, but there's also that part that just says, ah, what is going on? Right? And so it, 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 I feel like I'm going off on a little diatribe here. But the point is, is like, we're all, God, I don't know, I don't know what the point of that was. It's like, let's go back to what Mike Tyson was saying about the thought of someone loving me and helping me. So that's where I'm at. Like I, I'm, I'm loving me and I'm helping me. And even though, I mean, I guess I really just want everyone who listens to this, because I, I get DMs from time to time on Instagram and I, and I get messages out there and people um, have in a roundabout way basically said that they feel like I've got it all together. And then there's some times on the show where I'll say something. They're like, "Oh, wow, that really, that really made, that really hit home." Because I realize that you're still working on it too. And I don't ever want you guys to think that I'm not. <laughs> that this can get really tough. And I know I'm not going to use because I know using won't solve anything. It would only make everything I just said that I'm feeling right now, 87,000 times worse. Like I, I, I totally get that. It doesn't mean that there's not that time where, you know, I'll smell a beer or I'll think about a shot or something. And it's just like, you know, it's, it's like, there's that one split second where you're just like, Oh, why? And then, it, you know, I, I pull myself back into reality because I, I can play that out to the credits. This is something I've said before, but I haven't said it in, a, in, a, in a, at least a handful of shows. When you're thinking about using, play it out to the credits. Think to yourself, okay, I'll go out and have a beer. Maybe I can manage it today. And maybe that's what sparked all this is the idea of managing it. You, I don't want to manage my addiction anymore. I want to manage my recovery. 
I want I want to be in control of that. And whenever I feel overwhelmed with the with the book and the podcast and the blogging and the coaching and the speaking and the roommate leaving and and I've got three jobs and I, I'd also be able like to be able to relax and maybe go to an amusement park once in a while or hang out with my friends. Like, right? I'm trying to juggle all of this, and it's like. I'd rather be managing that than trying to manage the the detox I would put myself through for six days as I was coming off of a nine-day binge. And when Mike, Iron Mike Tyson starts talking about the thought of someone loving them and helping them, that's where you're at now, guys. First and foremost, you need to love yourself and you need to be willing to help yourself. Love yourself just because you're you're here. Love yourself because you whether you whether you're deep into your addiction recovery or not, love yourself because you're wanting to be in addiction recovery. Love yourself because you're at day one or a hundred or a thousand, just because you're willing. Because it's sad, it's sad to know and it's sad to feel that I have someone who would, even though he's, you know, by marriage, this family member is 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 in my family. Therefore, the the loved one, his son that he lost would have been like a cousin or distant, whatever that would have been. He still would have been in my family. And I still lost a family member to addiction. And it breaks my heart because what, I don't know what made me be able to say no more to the addiction, no more to alcohol and drugs and step away from that and become this version of me that you're listening to right now versus what led him to say no more to life? It's just, I, I, it confuses me and I don't have an answer for it. Um, back to Mike Tyson. Some people thrive in misery. You take away their misery and you bring them into light and they die emotionally and spiritually because pain and suffering has been their only comfort. I've thought a lot about this because I know a lot of people who are who suffer from depression and then just as many, if not more, people who think they suffer from depression, but really they're just sad, right? We're allowed to be sad. We're humans. We're allowed to be whatever emotion we want to feel. You can be sad. Sadness is a part of life because without sadness, what do you know about joy? Without hunger, what do you know about feeling full? Without strength, what do you know about feeling weak? Without love, what do you know about heartbreak? Right? It's, it's that yin and yang, that dichotomy. Like if you don't have one, how do you know what the other is? I, th- I talked about this a few episodes ago. If I was a roller coaster ride tester, how would I ever know what the adrenaline of riding a roller coaster felt like? I would just be so used to it, it would, it would be nothing to me. I don't want that. I don't express my emotions well, but I feel them. And be, because I'd never thought that my emotions were as important as my mother's emotions, I learned at a very young age to hold them in because she was the one dying from Crohn's. She was the one always in pain, going in and out of the hospital. Dad would come home and he'd be surly and all he'd want to do is eat the food and sit in front of the TV and don't bother him. You know, the only time he was going to be bothered is whenever he found out I wasn't doing something right. And then it was a scolding or, or, or pulling my hair or picking up me up by my hair or swatting me on the ass with his hand. And if it was really bad, here comes the belt, right? He was just the authoritarian. Mom was always sick. Jesse wasn't allowed to have emotions. Jesse thus buries his emotions. He doesn't express them outwardly, but he feels them intensely inwardly. Raise your hand if you could resonate with that. Raise your hand, nod your head, say, oh, hell yeah, in your car or wherever you're at right now. I know you felt that. It's 
not that we don't feel emotions. It's that we have felt like we can't express our emotions. I don't want to be a burden on anybody else because I feel a certain way. So I'll just figure out how to deal with it on my own because it's better this way for everybody else around me. And whenever Iron Mike says that some people thrive in misery, you take away their misery and bring them into the light and they die emotionally and spiritually because pain and suffering has been their only comfort. That that pain and that suffering, I believe, comes from holding those emotions in, not expressing them in a healthy manner, right? You, if, you're, if you're angry at someone yelling and screaming and throwing things at them or you know hitting them, it is not a healthy manner. But calmly asserting yourself and saying, look, this, this doesn't feel good to me. This doesn't feel right. Like it, that can be tough, especially if pain and suffering has been your only comfort. If you've grown so comfortable in feeling that pain, in that suffering, it's in that thought process that this pain and suffering is what's making me feel comfortable that locks us into this circle that gets us thinking that we're not loved. Why would anyone want to help us without wanting something in return? Right? We feel pain and suffering. And if that's what makes it, if, if that's our equilibrium, if that's our homeostasis, if that's where we feel the most comfortable, then trying to feel anything outside of that's going to make us feel uncomfortable. And as I've spoken about many times on this show, the brain is looking for comfort. It's why it doesn't want to get up on stage and speak. It doesn't want to go up to that stranger and introduce themselves. It doesn't want to ask the boss for a raise. It doesn't want to assert themselves in the workplace or at home when they feel like they're, what they want, need, and desire is being trampled over. Because if you step outside of that and you, and you, you tell somebody what you want, there's the chance that they'll say no. And when they say no, that's uncomfortable. And we don't want uncomfortable. We want comfortable. So by staying within this pain and suffering, if that's where we've grown comfortable, feeling joy and not feeling pain, that's uncomfortable. And if it's the brain's natural response to want to stay comfortable and pain and suffering is where we're comfortable and then joy and happiness is uncomfortable, then we're going to be mired in pain and suffering. But at least we have a sense of knowing what that's like. But if we put ourselves out there, if we taste a little bit of happiness, but we know that we're comfortable in the sadness, that so therefore we're going to feel the happiness, but we know we're going to go back to the sadness, then why even ever step into the happiness? This is what I did to myself for 22 years. Did I thrive on the misery? I think I did. I think I thrived on putting myself through such hardcore binges that of the misery of detoxing myself because it's like each time I did it, I proved to myself that I could push myself further and still come back. People out there for years tried to show me the light to try to bring me away from that misery. And it did. I would go, I went to AA meetings in college and I would go to, and I would go and I would talk to people who were sober. I would talk to people who could quote unquote control their drinking or just really didn't have a drinking issue at all. And they would tell me about how much better it is to wake up without a hangover. I had a girlfriend back in, in my early twenties and for a couple weeks I stopped drinking so late. And I remember her saying something like, see, isn't it amazing to, to wake up without a hangover? And it was, but it was so uncomfortable and it felt so alien to me. 
that it only lasted a few weeks and the relationship didn't last much longer. I, I say all this because talking to my relative today, we don't know why his son chose the path that he chose. We even less know of why I chose mine. Like what, what, what was in my programming that told me no more, I no more. I want something more from my life versus what showed his son that, you know, he didn't mean to necessarily die, but his drinking certainly said, I'm okay with it. That's what happens. I remember that. I'm glad, I'm glad I said that because it, it just triggered a memory. I used to tell people, it's not that I don't care whether I live or die. What was it? I don't, it's not that I don't care whether I live or die. It's just that I'm, it's, it's like I was numb. It was not ambivalent. Maybe it was ambivalent. I, I, it was like, I was just, I didn't want to die. I didn't necessarily want to live. I just, I was just blah, whatever. Maybe it was ambivalent. What is the definition of ambivalent? Let's see what the definition of ambivalent is. Have mixed feelings or contradictory ideas about something or some someone. Yeah, I mean, there were certainly times where I was like, fuck, let's just throw it down. Let's party. Let's party like it's 1999. And if we live, we live. If we die, we die. Truth be told, I never really wanted to die. I just wanted to live differently. I wanted a different life. I wanted excitement. I wanted joy. I wanted I wanted exhilaration and you know going and walking into a bar and having all your friends excited that you're there and getting some drugs and you know drinking some shots and laughing and chain smoking cigarettes. That just seemed like a exciting way to live until it didn't. Slowly but surely it just it didn't to the point where I, I was finally just a broken man. And so when I read these things, and you know, you, you, somebody like Mike Tyson, if you are familiar with him, then you know this guy had been broken from a very young age. And you know it, his boxing career and what he chose as a profession certainly didn't help, but we wouldn't know him if he hadn't have done that. And just realize that that thought of someone loving you and wanting to help you without wanting anything in return, it exists. I mean, it starts with you. It absolutely, positively starts with you. You know, you, like me, I've gone to meetings and I've had people who acted like what they wanted to do was help, but in reality, they just, they you know, they wanted me for something. Oh, you've got an apartment. Can I crash on your couch? Or, oh, you've got a job. Hey, can I borrow 10 bucks? Or, hey, you got a job. Can I get hired? Like, there's people are always asking for something. And I'm like, I don't want, I don't want you to ask me for anything. I just want to have a conversation. And then we'll go our separate ways, and then we'll meet back up here next Tuesday at 7. There's those people out there for you guys who don't want anything from you, who just want to listen to your story, and if nothing else, just be a supportive ear. Lots of us don't need any more advice. We don't need any more direction. You could stop listening to this podcast today, and I have no doubt that if you are secure in your addiction recovery, you will continue to be successful. I do this whole show really as like an audio blog about what I'm going through every single week because it's just a lot of shit. (laughs) It's just a lot of crap going on. Right, but I don't think that without me, you guys all of a sudden, you know, oh my goodness, thousands of people just got stuck, dropped out of addiction recovery because Jesse stopped doing his podcast. I don't think that. 
I don't think you need any more advice. I, I, but I do believe that we all desire support. I, I believe that we all desire knowing that someone else is going through the same stuff as we are. Even if I didn't go through the th- same history as you, that I'm empathetic because I, I've gone through things that are similar. I know that there are people out there who love me and that want to help me and that don't want anything in return. I know that for years I was comfortable in my misery and in my suffering and no longer am I comfortable in that. I'm now comfortable in feeling good about myself and going to the gym and and, and eating healthy and knowing that I'm doing great things for my life every single day. I'm comfortable in that. So that when I don't go to the gym or I start to eat unhealthy or I start to have habits creep back in that are steps towards relapse, I'm able to see them and say, no, 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 no. We're not playing that game. Remember, relapse starts well before you actually use again. And whether that means that you need to go to meetings regularly or have conversations about your addiction regularly or launch a podcast or post about it on Instagram, whatever it does so that you feel that you're a member of something, so that you feel that we're here for you, then then please do it and reach out and say what's going on with your life and, and comment in, in some of my posts or whatever whatever it is that you want to do. If you want me to hear your voice, reach out and say what's up. I'm not great about the DMs. I know I'm not always checking them, but by all means, as soon as I see it, I'll say what's up back. I met a, I met a really uh, awesome young lady from Minnesota, and we've been able to, to communicate back and forth here and there. And it was just really cool meeting someone who listens to the show and and can understand it and, and feels it and, it, and it resonates. And if this resonates with you, that is awesome. Because it's not always my intention to talk about things that will. Sometimes it's just my intention to talk about things that I'm going through. But I've noticed in all the meetings I've attended that generally if somebody else is talking about it, it resonates with me at some level. Our brains will make a connection. So when I read this quote by Mike Tyson about people being feeling safe and comfortable in their misery and that they die a little emotionally and spiritually whenever somebody offers them a way out of their pain and suffering. I can understand that. I can understand that. It's not always easy. Some days you just, I I just look around and I'm just like, frick, how am I going to keep managing all of this stuff? But that's life. That's I've got friends with three kids and you know, they both have full-time jobs and they're doing their thing and that's life. Like life gets chaotic. Thinking that oh my god life's chaotic I need a drink or I need a line or I need a smoke it, that's not going to make it better. If it was going to make it better, my life would be freaking fantastic cuz I did that for 22 years. Mike Tyson did that for many decades. Someone in one of my very first meetings said, you know, I'm, I might have a relapse in me, but I'm not sure I have another recovery. And that's something that always hits home with me. That no matter what I'm feeling, it's it, there's no amount that will ever lead me to think that a relapse is worth it. Because I don't think I'd want, I, just, I wouldn't want to start off it back at day one. Day 1,000 is only 17 days away, and I can't wait. For it to come, I can't wait for day seven, 1,717 to be here because I love 17. I can't wait for all of this. I can't wait for my life. 
let me take that back. I love what I'm doing with my life. Saying that I can't wait for my life makes it sound like I'm not living my life right now and I don't want to put that out there, right? I am living my life. I can't, I, I, I love where I'm at right now in the present and I, I look to I look greatly forward to what I because of what I'm doing now I know is going to pay dividends in the future. So I don't want to say I can't wait for all of that because then it's like I'm not being humble about what I've accomplished now. I'm not being grateful for where I'm at now and I'm not living a life of integrity. And that's the life coachy Jesse coming out because right like you want to use that positive language but you also don't want to make it seem like everything you've done now is has not been what it will be then right? Now is amazing. Then will be amazing too, but right now is freaking amazing. 983 days ago, I would have been through the roof to the moon happy if I could be where I'm at right now. And I want to end on that note. Always remember, there was a day in your life where you were begging to have it as good as you do right now. And if I'm finding you at the lowest of lows, then trust me, start taking those steps forward. And before you know it, three days, 30 days, 333 days, you're going to turn around and be like, wow, I remember that time that I just begged my God, whatever you call your spiritual blah, whatever you want to do up there. I, I remember asking my God, just please, just please make the pain go away. One day, not too long ago, you were, you were praying that it would be as good as it is today. And if you still know there's good in you and you still know that there's even better ahead, then be present in today so that when you get there, you remember what, that, what today bad was so that 100 days or 1,000 days from now, that good, you, you can remember it. Because like I said earlier, without the good, you don't know the bad. Without the happy, you don't know the sad. Without the sad, you don't know the happy. Without the hunger, you don't know the full. Without the full, you don't know the hunger. There is someone who loves you. There is someone who doesn't want anything but the best for you. And every single day, every single second of your life, that person is someone you can communicate with because it's you. I love all of you. I hope this finds you well. Bless you for being in addiction recovery. Until we meet again, take care. Be kind to one another. Be inclusive, not exclusive. Take care. Bye-bye. 